Once a month, we partner with Southern Oregon PBS to bring you an audio version of their program, Us As We Are, which explores the people and places of Southern Oregon. Here's your host, Keegan Van Hook. Hi there, folks. I'm Keegan Van Hook, and this is Us As We Are. First, today, I'm going to share conversations I had with members of the unhoused community in Ashland about what it's like living a life where you have to move every 72 hours. And then later, I'll take you to the Medford Armory Antiques Show to talk with antique collectors about oddball items and historical artifacts. If you live in Ashland, or follow news in the Rogue Valley closely, you've probably heard about the homeless encampments which have been cropping up in various prominent places around town. They're partially a form of protest for the rights of the unhoused to sleep on public property. A lot of the reporting on these encampments has focused on the unhoused people, either in the abstract or from a third-person perspective. I wanted to know more about the actual people who have been spending their winters and summers sleeping in tents right in the small town I live in, so I went out to meet them. All right, I am Maverick. Um, I happen to be one of the few unhoused parents, and we've been dealing with basic survival, the homeless stigma, looked at gross, being spoken down to. You're in trouble because you're sleeping outside. We're breaking down because we have to move. So we, every time we move spots, we get served a 72 hour notice. So we stay within the civil guidelines and we move in that time frame. So it's breaking everything down, folding it back up, putting it back on the thing and moving it down to another spot. Hello, my name is Fenris McCoy and I'm living out here as a homeless person. And you're Maverick's oldest son? Yes. I'm 12 years old. What's the lifestyle out here like? Uh, it has its pros and cons. Like, like out here you don't have to pay taxes. <sighs> the main disadvantages is, you know, police and stuff always harass you if you stay somewhere for too long. Harris, we don't have much time. Hurry up and go. Dude, stop. It's 9.36. Then go. We only Stop. have until 944. Even when we've had a hotel room through, I've paid it, or assistance, or we're in a shelter, or we're cohabitating paying rent somewhere, I still take the kids out to keep them adjusted, take them to parks, take them to multiple parks, keep them exercised, because rent gets expensive. Jobs might transfer you. A position might close up. Stuff happens. Honestly, I've been homeless my whole life, so I've always known how it's like. Very tiring. Every three days, you always have to get up early as fuck. As soon as you wake up, you have to pack up as many things as you can and take it down. And you have to do this every three days, so very tiring. But it's always rewarding at the end, because then you can always relax and stuff. Like, if I get the, the time to do it, I usually like to play online games and stuff on my phone. I like sports a little bit. Like hanging out with friends. Do you have friends here in Ashland? Uh huh. They're older. They're probably about your age and stuff. Well, my name is Gerald Cleveland. I'm glad to be here. You know, from Texas, but moved out here because I have a daughter. So you know, I'm just trying to get in with the system and make my way into housing so I could, you know, raise my daughter and stuff. What's your living situation right now? Um, right now I'm homeless. I was living at Aura, but you know, due to technicalities, I had to move out. Well, I'm an artist, and I also like to um, travel a lot, and I skate really, really hard. I skate every day. You ever heard of Godzilla? 
Well, yeah. Yes. <laughs> the big G. I also like Transformers. Those are really cool movies. I like Harry Potter. Um, this last winter, there was no assistance that would take the whole family. I couldn't find a place that would take me and all the kids and make and continue with them being able to have their friends and kind of what we have adjusted and keep going with that. The, the idea of them splitting us away from each other makes me kind of frustrated. Like, why would they want to do that? We're not allowed guests. We're not allowed communal meals. If we require it, we're not allowed cannabis because it's federally funded. The shelters shut down at a certain time of night. So you may not be able to leave the grounds or you may not be able to leave the building. Why is it so restrictive at the shelters? For safety and, and uh, insurance reasons is why they have it. So have you been spending most of your time in Ashland with this group m moving around? Yeah, I have. It's um, really a safe place for me. And, you know, until I do get housing and everything like that, they're making sure that I'm taken care of so I don't have to watch my back too hard, you know. Okay, my name is Priya Virasamy. I'm here for the Ashland BIPOC Sanctuary, and we do community feeds every Saturday from 12 to 2, just so that we can facilitate food services for our displaced members of community and so that we can help them live. Even people that have lived here long term cannot afford it anymore. With that comes displacement um, and then the vitriol that they have faced because of needing places to stay. I don't understand how people expect them to keep moving and keep having these stressors put on them when they just need a place to land. Can we talk about the idea of the self-governing habitation zone? Maybe you can introduce that concept. Self-governing habitation zone is letting us have a habitat, letting us build little nests or whatever. And that's kind of what the protest has been trying to show is that yes, a small group can stay civil, can stay coordinated. The group has facilitated from the beginning to the end um, with a variety of people. So this meeting was called by me and other people spreading word out um, to be the very first, you know, completely open and public meeting as a repercussion of the talks that we've been having with the city count with the city of Ashland. This is the voice of Joseph Gibson, who was the primary originator of the protest aspect of the roaming encampment in Ashland back in November of 2020. Gibson continues to serve as a major organizer for the unhoused community throughout the entire Rogue Valley. And so we had a discussion of what it meant that we had brought up at the previous meeting of the term self-governing habitation zone. Mm -hmm. It's just the ability to govern yourselves on those things that are life necessary. Self-governing habitation zone. The habitation zone, what would that like physically look like? How is that going to manifest like in the world? We don't know where it's going to be, but um, yeah, what does that look like? The ones that have been started and are successful are kind of creative from the ground up. It could start with tents, it could start with pallet houses, it could start with um, tying some poles together and making a teepee. I feel like it'd be like a safe haven for us instead of always having to move around. What do you want for yourself and what do you want for your kids? To let them finish growing up. Small scale, that's all they really freaking need is just a protected space. I can build a thing. I don't care if there's no house that comes with the permissible spot. You just need that spot to be that just you don't that have to spot move. where everyone can agree on just leave her the hell alone for the next decade. That's it. So beyond that, I can grow a garden, I can get a goat, 
I could grow flax or hemp or whatever, and I could have material, I could have sheep, I could have, if I get an angora goat, I have all the wool I want in the world to spin and then knit it and then stitch it and happy as a clam. What do you want like uh, your life to look like in the long term? Probably have a stable life, you know? Hmm. That's about it. I don't know what else. Can't really predict the future, so. The next story I want to share with you takes us over to Medford, where on the 21st of May, the National Guard Armory was temporarily transformed into a marketplace filled to the brim with weird and wonderful antique items. Hi everyone, I'm Liz Darby, a promoter of the Medford Antique Show, uh, happening twice a year, including this May, at the Armory in Medford. We have over 20 vendors uh, selling antiques, vintage, you name it, anything uh, old, we've got it. Uh, so this is some of our uh, our collection, and this is one of my favorite pieces that we recently got. Uh, it's a Wedgwood apartment stove, uh, Smokey the Bear, vintage posters, uh, vintage musical instruments, a Michael Jackson record player, a lot of military. We shop estate sales, and even though we also help people clear their estates, um, we like to shop estate sales, thrift stores. Like I said, there's a lot of inter- um, dealing and trading between people who sell at these antique shows, so we'll probably work with some of these other vendors. Hi, my name is Tim Cote. I came up from uh, Sunnyvale down in the Bay Area to do this show. Brought just a little bit of everything we've accumulated over the last 20 years of collecting, enjoying meeting people and, and uh, helping them build collections and reducing ours. <laughs> my wife is a volunteer for the American Cancer Society, and they get a lot of donations of tobacco-related stuff. And for obvious reasons, they're not selling that. So we get interesting ashtrays, um, a tobacco cutter, beer steins, lots of beer steins. This is only a small portion of them. Collection of silver uh, souvenir spoons. Shows like this are pretty general, so we try to bring a little of everything so everybody can find something to take home. Oh, I'm Catherine Vanderpool. We're called Brass Rail, and it's eclectic, a lot of lights, a lot of fun things. Uh, is, the, is there something to be said about the, uh, the merry-go-round? I brought it home to my husband in a brown paper bag in pieces. I handed it to him and said, please, and he put it back together, and it works perfectly. I'm Bud Ginger. I live over in Chiloquin, Oregon. And I've been in the basket stuff for about 40 years. And I got to be 92, and it's time for me to start cutting down. So they're here. Bud is surrounded by Native American baskets with patterns hand-woven into them. That's a Papago storage basket. If you look, he's an elk, or he's a deer hunter. He's got his gun in his hand. He's got his horse. He's got a deer on there. They're a real good story basket. Uh, that one big one right there, that's called night creatures. And see, they're all animals that were out during the night. What kind of baskets are these? Tell me about the, well, their style. That was a mission basket. The second one, first one was the Papago. They're Indian baskets. Now pick up that cash box. This? You want me to pick it up? Pick it up. Now, it's very heavy. If, if you were robbing uh, the stagecoach, 
Would you want him to throw that down and into your wagon? No. He'd go right through your wagon. <laughs> My name is Jody Kimmel. I'm a member of the Jacksonville Museum Quilters, and we do hand applique and hand quilting because that's what our grandmas used to do. Hand quilting is not fast. What I'm doing is the applique, and that's how this quilt was made. And you use the point of the needle to turn it under and take one stitch at a time. It's not fast, and it does take a little patience. This cow, made by Woody Jackson, he designed the cow for Ben and Jerry's ice cream in around 1980. This is one of his cutouts. Very collectible, very hard to find, very unusual. So wait, who was Woody Jackson? Woody Jackson, uh, I'd consider him a, an artist. Uh, he, he's also known for doing like etchings and engravings of cows, that type of thing. But his cutouts, if you can find one, like Holy Grail stuff. How did you get into uh, this hobby, craft, this business? I've been doing it since I was very young. Oh, it skipped a generation, but uh, prior to that, my family's always been involved in this in one form or another. But oh yeah, nice. I enjoy this. I don't see myself doing anything else but this. I grew up on the Indian Reservation in Oregon. Sometimes Indian ladies would be working on a basket and they would put me to helping them. And I just was around it and it was something that I liked. And I, and I think it's one of the greatest arts in the world. And I saw that quilt hanging up in the window and I thought, oh, I gotta learn how to do that. And I took a class. And that was 45 years ago, and I've been stuck ever since. Unfortunately, I lived in Talent, and I lost my house in the fire. And I lost all of my quilts, 68 hand applique and hand quilted quilts, all the quilts for my grandkids and great-grandkids. So that was kind of heartbreaking. So now I'm in the process of trying to do just a little wall hanging for the grandkids, because they'll, they'll appreciate them a lot more. It's, it's just something from grandma. Well, folks, that's all I have time for on JPR today. I want to encourage you to tune in or stream the full-length video version of my program, Us As We Are, on Southern Oregon PBS. We'll have more on these stories and others tomorrow, Saturday, June 3rd at 7 p.m., and online at sopbs.org slash us as we are.